Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number two of the Camera Shake podcast with Nick Kirby and Kirsten Nutz, the photo and video podcast coming at you straight out of isolation into your eardrums. We'll be talking about talk life in isolation, what's happening in the world outside. And if we're lucky, we'll hit on photography too. Hi, Nick. How's it going? It's going. How's your week been yeah. so far? <laughs> yeah, no, fine since last week. Um, trying to keep myself busy. Um, got on our next photo challenge, which was great fun. Can't wait to talk about that a little bit later. Um, I've been finishing up some other video work that I've had going on and also printing some DVDs and getting some artwork together for uh, the school project that I, I mentioned in the last episode. Um, also been doing a little bit of audio work too uh, with some some colleagues. We're doing a Queen challenge this week. So that's been uh, good fun too. So how about yourself? Yeah, it's been pretty busy this week. Um, we've been doing lots of different things, uh, mainly been working on some video projects, um, making some photos, um, particularly to do with the photo challenge. Uh, that's always great fun. You know, it's something different to do. And um, it's a great way to be creative, even when you're stuck in a house. You're working on the photo challenge just made me think um, of a number of different things. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it's great that we're stuck in a house, but we've got all of our gear to create lots of different, you know, photographs and videos. And, you know, although we're stuck in a house, we still have all of our stuff. But just imagine if you were stranded on a desert island somewhere and all you'd have is a bag. Like, what would you put in, what kind of photo gear would you take with you? Let's say you could take, I don't know, three items that you could pack into okay. your photo bag? For me, I, well, I mean, I'd have to take my camera, um, you know, my, my Panasonic GH5S, and I guess I'm going to have to have a lens that goes with that. So I'd probably take, hmm, I'd probably take my uh, 12 to 35 mil. Um, that's a Lumix G uh, lens to go with that. Um, and given that it's going to be somewhere we want to be, and it's going to be particularly bright and sunny, I'd probably take an ND filter, a variable ND filter to go with that. Um, do I want to take a tripod and something like that and swap one of those out? No, I think I can make do without a tripod in this instance. I think an ND filter would help me more do uh, taking videos and photos with that gear. Yeah. Mm. I'm sticking with that. That was my gut instinct. Right. How about you? That's pretty good. Um, I would take, you know, I would take my Fuji X100F. Um, That's compact. First of all, because that has an, X, uh, an ND filter built in already. Oh, nice. So that's pretty cool. Bonus. Um, and it's also, it's a fixed focal length. So it's the same 35 mil equivalent lens. Um, and I've been really, I've been enjoying that for the last year mm -hmm. or so. Um, because it kind of limits you in, in certain ways, but it also simplifies things. You know, when I first got it, I got it for that reason, actually, originally, and I kind of thought it might be a nice challenge. Um, and a lot of people used to say like, oh, well, but that's going to be tricky, you know, and you won't be able to change lenses and, you know, go for a different model because, you know, yada, yada. So, um, but I found it really good fun. And it's my go-to camera pretty much for whenever I go on a trip, you know, when we go out with the family or we go on holiday or something like that, that's usually the camera I take. So um, that's a pretty good all-round little travel camera. 
Uh, the picture quality is awesome. Um, and although it's now been superseded by the X100V, mm-hmm. uh, still the 100F, if you can get it secondhand, you know, probably at a really good price these days, it's a fantastic camera still to get into. Um, so I would definitely take that. Um, I think, I mean, the other thing I'll probably take is just my little Rode video mic because I actually quite like the Fuji for video too. Like the picture profiles work really well straight out of the out of the gate, you know. Um, and so if you're just you know if you're just filming, like you know, with the family and stuff like that, then uh, then it's a really uh, really nifty little little camera for that. And with with an external mic, brilliant. And um, the third thing, I'm not really sure. An extra battery, <laughs> couple of extra batteries. <laughs> That's pretty much all I'd need. I think it's funny you mentioned the the fixed focal length. When I very first started learning, you know, photography and the basics of cameras and things like that, I had one lens, and that was a well, was a Nifty Fifty, and yeah. that's all I had. And I stuck with learning with that, and it forced me to understand what to do with that lens to still be able to get the shot that I wanted to try and get, you know, and, and that's the basics of, you know, simply moving closer to the subject, moving further away from the subject rather than relying on your, your variable focal lengths. And I don't think that it's a nice limitation, you know, it makes you think about your shot in a slightly different way. So I like that idea taking a um, prime. Yeah. I think, you know, I got to the point where, you know, when you have a collection of lenses that you use for all sorts of different, um, you know, different photo jobs, let's say, or different, you know, photographic projects, um, you, you really get used to having that variety and, and having all of these options, you know, you know, you, your standard set of lenses, like the, the 14 to 24, you know, uh, 24 to 70, 70 to 200, you can really do 99% of all things photographic with mm-hmm. those three lenses. You know, if you were like a wildlife photographer and you need like a, a, like a super long uh, focal length, you know, and you go for like a 300 or 500, anything like that, that's, you know, that's an additional thing. Or if you're into macro photography and you wanna, um, you wanna do that and you get a macro lens, that's another thing. But actually for most general portrait work, for example, or corporate work um, or events or anything like that, you know, those, basic three lenses, you know, 14 to 24, 24 to uh, 70, 70 to 200, mm-hmm. all you need, really. Prime lenses are nice, awesome. Of course, they're great, but you don't necessarily really absolutely need them. No. You know? Um, and so I think when you have these choices, once you got to the point where, you know, you can afford these lenses, these pro lenses, um, and you have all of that choice all the time, then at some point it's nice to just limit yourself. I think it makes you think yeah. much more creatively. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also, you know, it's just a drag having to drag these lenses around with you all the time because they're heavy. Yeah. It's heavy glass. But you know? that that pro pro glass is if you can if you can afford it. Obviously, they're they're just as fast as prime lenses. Um, you know, throughout the range as well, as as far as I, I, I can tell. Not always, obviously, but a lot of the time. I'm guessing some of those um, those lenses that you've got, um, those Nikon ones, are they just as fast as what their you know their prime equivalents might be? Well, almost. I mean, they put the two point eight. Um, you know, so it, it's great. They're great 
you know, they have great optics in them. They, you know, they're yeah. great looking, they produce great looking photographs. Um, they're great lenses. They're solid. I mean, you can literally go to war with these lenses. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's another thing from a professional point of view, of course, you need them to last. They're expensive. Yeah. So you need to make sure that they last. Um, I think, you know, on average, I would say, you know, you'd probably change your camera body every, I don't know, three or four years, you know, maybe more, more regularly than that. But with pro glass, you probably keep the same lens for like a decade, mm. you know, or longer than that until you sort of move up to the next model, um, or just the next reincarnation of the same model, if you want. Um, but these, I mean, these lenses are solid, um, and they're great wide open apertures. Um, for things like events, um, of course, prime lenses, you know, 1.8 or 1.4 prime lenses, or even 1.2, um, prime lenses are uh, fantastic. And of course they let in more light, but they're also incredibly expensive given the fact that you only get one focal length for it. Yeah. So, you know, bang for the buck and versatility and reliability. Uh, and every and all of that thrown in together, um, you know the the pro lenses, uh, the Nikon pro lenses, um, and also the Canon pro lenses. Are, you know they're perfect for your working photographer. Mm. You know, and it's it's a it's an investment that's really going to pay off over the course of a decade. You know, you get to think as a professional, you spend that money up front, and of course they're you know a few thousand pounds uh, per lens potentially, but you make that investment, and then of course you keep the lenses for ten years, twelve years, you know maybe more than that, and they make the money back for you. Yeah. You know, and from a business perspective, I always, that's kind of how I think all the time. It's, you know, when, when I think about, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a, I don't know, 100 mil macro lens or something like that? Yes, it would be nice. Is it going to make me the money back? Not in what I do, it wouldn't. <laughs> so, you know, as soon as I arrive at that point, I'm like, eh, maybe not yet. <laughs> you know, maybe some other time. Um, but, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, but just creatively, um, uh, it's, it's then, you know, it's nice to just limit yourself. Yeah. Um, what else did I read about this week? Oh, quick, quickest topic. Cause it really excites me tech. <laughs> so, um, I recently got, um, sort of the latest MacBook that came out for, you know, several, six months ago, whenever it was now. And I love it. It's got eight, eight cores of, I forget the actual speed of the processor, but I just saw today that Intel have announced their latest generation of processors and they're reaching speeds of over five gigahertz with, I think, um, eight cores and 16 threads in them. So none of that really matters what that is. It just matters that they are super fast. It's the fastest processors I've come across. So I'm desperately hoping that they're going to end up in the next next batch of MacBooks that come out. Because um, I may have to just sell this one and go upgrade straight away. As I was reading it, they're explaining that um, 4K footage will render twice as fast using this than uh, something like what I'm using right now with the um, processors that I'm using. Perhaps even faster, more 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 times than that. Right. So here's a question for you, Nick. As a videographer, um, I'd be interested to know what you think about the uh, the up and coming Canon R5, because as you've probably heard, that is going to be able to shoot in 8K. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? Do you think that's 
Do you think that makes sense? Is that usable? Is that something that we need? Or is that just total overkill and pointless? Well, uh, need is a, uh, it's very subjective, I guess. Um, no, don't need it. Um, is it a nice to have? Hell yeah. And so the reasons I, I guess 8K is going to be a positive thing overall is that uh, 8K will do to 4K what 4K did to 1080p. So when 4K started to come around, um, you can film in 4K, downscale that in your output to um, 1080p, and the picture quality is going to be better um, in that 1080p output than had you originally filmed it in 1080p. That's so say that again. So when you when you film something in 4K and yeah. then you downsample it to 1080, that 1080 will look better than if you had filmed it in 1080 originally, what, how is that? What, yes, why is that it, it, in my opinion, that's how it looks and comes across to me. It's subjective and there'll be people who who will say that it doesn't look any different to them. And that, that's obviously that's fine. Um, but to me, the picture quality is still better. Um, I guess just because I had so much more information to begin with that it's just got better information to choose from. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that way inclined as to understand all those nitty gritty. I can just tell you from my experience of doing that. My, I, I believe that that picture quality looks better at, at the end of it. So is that? Do you think it's sharper, or do, are the colors better, or what, how both, does that manifest both. itself? Sharper more than anything else. Sharper more than anything, anything else. Uh, the colors not so much. I guess it depends from camera to camera. Um, on the GH5S, my colors are actually pretty consistent between 4K and 1080p. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, definitely sharper and the added benefit that you get from filming in 4k and, um, down, down, uh, downscaling to 1080 is that you can zoom in on the four 4k footage and not lose any quality because you're still going to output at 1080. That's a real advantage. That's a real advantage. It really is. Mm. So most people still don't produce their content in 4k, their final output in 4k because no one can the majority of the world can't consume it. So you right. might have a 4K TV. That's great. You might be able to play that back on there. Um, are you playing 4K back in on, in Chrome on, on YouTube? Yep, possibly as well. Is your monitor actually showing you 4K footage there? Very unlikely. Mm. Um, so most people aren't consuming it. So it's why still mo the majority of uh, videographers will still produce the 1080p content. But that's changing. More and more people are moving into having 4K enabled devices that can view that on, which is great. So that now makes sense to start producing 8K cameras so that you can do the same thing with 4K footage, uh, downsampling to 4K footage. Mm. So, you know, now you film in 8K, now you can zoom in and still have a 4K output and it looked perfect. Um, you can, and ultimately your 4k output will, I have not tried this. My assumption is going to be that if you'd film within 8k, it's going to look slightly sharper, slightly better when it's final output of 4k than had you originally shot it in 4k. That begs the question of, do you actually want anything to ever look any cleaner and sharper than 4k? There might be some scenarios like you know, stock kind of nature or landscape footage where you, that super, super sharp, super high res footage might look great. But for films and general video content, 
I'm not sure I want to see anything sharper than 4K. It starts to look unrealistic to me. Um, what are the what, what would be the uh, the disadvantages or the downsides of shooting in 8K? I'm I'm guessing that it would put a lot more work onto your processor, right? Unbelievable amount. If you take 4K today, I can just about edit one layer of 4K footage on my machine without changing anything and get away with it. And I've got a, the most powerful MacBook that's currently on the market right now. Um, you know, yes, you can get Mac Pro, you can get the towers and whatnot, and they have um, faster processors. Mm. But there are ways around it. It's only now that I can handle 4K footage as it stands. But pr prior to that, no machine could really handle it, couldn't play it mm. back. So you've got, you've got a couple of different options to overcome that. Um, primary one is to create a proxy for your footage. So as soon as you import your footage, you can create a proxy at 1080p or at 720p. Um, I generally create them at 720p because when I'm editing it in that way, I don't need to see 4K footage. It doesn't make any difference. I can still yeah. color. Um, you know, I can just toggle it on and off if I need to see it back quickly. Um, so a proxy file, for those of you who may not be aware, is simply a duplicate clip of what you've imported at a lower resolution. So I've got clip number 001 here at 4K, and I've created a proxy of clips number 001 at 720p. And within Premiere Pro or Final Cut, for example, you can just toggle that on and off. So if you toggle proxies on, it's because it's it will a smaller just play file back size. the 720p versions rather than the 4K or 8K. Yeah. And then because it's a smaller file size, it won't put as much strain onto your processor and therefore it'll just, it'll run more fluently and you can edit without it stopping and starting. Exactly. And... Exactly right. Exactly right. No stuttering. And, you know, I even find on this MacBook, if I have more than one 4K clip, you know, layered on top of each other, it starts to struggle. If I'm doing any multicam work with 4K footage, it starts to struggle. It really doesn't like it. So I have to, in fact, um, a multicam shoot where there was ultimately like 10 or 12 different cameras, some with 4K footage, some with 1080p footage. I remember. It couldn't even handle it at 720. It's not handling it yeah. at all. So actually, I've gone down to five. Well, I don't think 520. I, I'm not 560. I'm not even sure what that resolution would be now. I don't, I don't use it. Yeah, I remember that shoot. 576 <laughs> or something silly like that, mm. um, just to get it to play back. So you know, in the photo world, the equivalent there is to you know is um, to work with multiple layers in Photoshop. Yeah. You know, because that's you can um, you can really tell when your machine's starting to struggle with that and you know just about any laptop will be fine with you know 10 layers or whatever in photoshop but when you get to like 100 layers yeah. um that's when especially when you're um when you're sort of copying down the image onto individual layers and then that adds to the whole file size um but yeah once once you hit like 100 layers or something then you know it's it can get a little bit hairy then um, for sure. So I mean, we did a shoot not too long ago where, um, there's a car shoot and the final image was a composite of about, I think it was about a hundred over a hundred shots in the end. Um, and that was, uh, I think the, the file itself was something like 11 or 12 mega uh, gigabytes. So it was a huge Photoshop file in the end. 
um, but yeah, it was because it was such a massive composite and you can, my machine is really quite old actually anyway. So, um, it, you know, it was definitely pushing it to the, to its limits mm. at that point. There are ways around it in Photoshop as well, because you can kind of, you can, um, go through the process, you know, you can, you can save at, at a certain point and then open up a new project and, you know, do have to work in one and the other half in the other I one. See. So it's, you can kind of split the files. Um, to keep it simple that makes sense um, that makes a lot but, of sense so but how many yeah, photos so, did you have in that on that sheet did you say say that again how, how many photos did you have on that sheet so in the final composite um it was composited i think there were there were just there were just over 100 different shots that made up the the overall the final shot there and your and that was on i don't know what size um which which camera are you using nikon d800 well, that was a D750. Sorry, 750. So it's um, so there was so it's 24 megapixels okay. um, per image essentially. Yeah. Wow. So so it was 100 100 raw photos. Obviously they're raw, you know, because you shoot in raw. So the file sizes are quite large anyway. And um, yeah. if you imagine if you have got 100 of those, um, the reason why you, why you use so many shots in this particular project was that we essentially photographed the car. But because we lit individual components of the car, we then composited um, the final image together. So for argument's sake, you know, you take a shot where you've lit the rims of the tires um, or the wheels and, you know, you like the light on that. But then we took three different um, shots of the front bumper, for example. We lit that in a certain way. So we took the lights on that and you take some reflections from a different shot. And um, then we took some interior shots, composite composite that in and uh, we took some environmental shots where we put a whole lot of water on the on the tarmac um, so we took some, some shots of that um, and everything in the end then it gets composited together and it gives you the the final image which pretty much looks like you know a photo straight out of a car catalog the sexiest you know, every... looking Toyota RAV4 I've ever seen <laughs> yeah yeah because in you know in real life, that ref4 is pretty boring, really. But um, <laughs> it turned out it turned out uh, pretty cool in that image. And of course, that's that's the thing. You know, when you go to a car dealership and you look at a catalog or you look at a website or whatever, then um, you know these photos always look amazing. And actually, then when you drive, I don't know, like a Ford Focus or something like that, which is a pretty boring car, you know. Granted, um, I'm always surprised how they managed to make them look so good in their advertisement. And that's that's really how. I mean, that's. That's one of the main techniques. Is that, uh, did you post that photo anywhere? So you can find that photo on uh, the Camera Shake Facebook page. Okay, good. So you'll find that. So if you go to Facebook um, and type in Camera Shake Podcast, it'll take you to our page. You can, you can see it there. We should put up that time lapse I did as well of, uh, of the shoot. Yeah. That's worth looking yeah, at. Yeah, in fact, the time lapse was, uh, was interesting because you can actually, uh, you can really see how we did the shoot. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, yeah, check that out. <laughs> cool. Right. For the next part of today's podcast, we are super thrilled to introduce our first guest um, on the show. Please welcome Mr. Daniel Ackerley, wedding photographer, Parks and Arts. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm very good, man. Pretty good. Excellent. Cool. Just doing, you know, we're locked down and all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how is that going? How are you, how are you coping with the whole lockdown thing? uh it's been more difficult with mental health actually i think more than anything um 
it's uh, I, I obviously like a lot of freelancers and self-employed people sort of panicking a bit about money, but um, I think the biggest issue really has been not being able to get out um, and do what I normally do. I think the only thing that's been good is the weather's been nice. So yeah. <laughs> my wife's put me to work in, around the house, uh, which I've actually enjoyed quite a lot. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I think my main concern for people, apart from the sort of people not having a lot of money, is. It's a mental health issues for a lot of friends uh, of mine who are, you know, are struggling being stuck in. I think that's a, a really big issue, actually. So, mm. yeah. Because you're under normal circumstances, you're really super busy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, ironically, this time of year is 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 sort of my downtime. Although uh, I usually have a couple of months off at the start of the year, and then I start to get busy around about um, end of March, start of April time. So, about now, I'm starting to get get some work in i usually take um january february and most of march off if i can i do a few little bits of music related work around that time of year is really good but i don't really do any wedding related work until much later in the year but obviously from about now until about october i'm usually absolutely rammed um so i'll be gearing up now to getting getting busy but that's obviously not happening everybody's in fact as far as i'm aware my next scheduled job is not until august so <laughs> <laughs> oh well it's all been postponed or rearranged which i guess yeah. we'll talk about in a bit but, yeah, yeah yeah i mean just to get just to give our listeners uh, an idea as to what it is that you do you obviously you shoot weddings and you shoot a lot of weddings right and i've yeah because i've known you for at least three years or something like that because you originally shot my wedding I did right. yes we were just talking about it earlier weren't yeah. we? fantastic <laughs> and uh we'll get, we'll get into that in a second but basically so over the last three years since i've been sort of following you on social media and everything i know i mean i, I can see you've been getting busier and busier year on year so your wedding business under normal circumstances is working really well yeah i mean if we take if we if we step back a few months before this pandemic <laughs> yeah. um this year was looking at, I, i'd got to a point actually where i september last year i stopped taking bookings for this year um yeah. i i decided that i i decided at the start of last year i wanted to only take 40 bookings for for this year for 2020 yeah. um and then i stopped and i end up with 51. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, mainly because I made the mistake of telling people in September on my business page that I'm, I'm fully booked. But then I, I did put a caveat to that, and, and that was, unless you're having a Star Wars theme wedding or you're getting married on a Tuesday in November and it's going to yeah. be really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I got a load of winter bookings from people going, oh, we were thinking about messaging you, and, you know, we're doing this, and, you know, um, and what was a Star Wars wedding, actually, funny enough. Um, so I, I took a few more extra bookings on a time of the year when I would be starting to slow down a bit. Um, yeah. So And then I thought, actually, no, that is that was way more than I wanted, but, I'm, you know, it's hard to turn down, you know, money. Um, and, you know, not least when me and my wife are looking to buy another house. So we uh, we decided that um, I would do a few extra ones. But, um, yeah, that's proving problematic now, actually, mm. with all these postponements. Whereas a lot of other people who haven't taken on so much work are finding it a bit easier to accommodate them. So, yeah. yeah. But it's, of course, you know, that's for, for a small business owner, if you want, that's, you know, that is absolutely critical, isn't it, um, at the moment? Because you're, how you're getting by... With, yeah, well, cash flow is king, isn't it? When you when you run a small business, especially when you're self-employed. Um, I've been I've been fortunate in a certain extent, and that um, I think I might be able to weather this a little bit better than some people because I've been saving for the past few years. So I've been busy, but I've been busy for a reason. Um, uh, one of the reasons is because I got married myself, <laughs> and, and I realised how insanely expensive it was to get married. 
Um, and so I didn't want to borrow any money. Um, and that's proved, to, looking back now, you know, that's proved to be a bit of a godsend because I didn't, we didn't borrow any money. I just, I shot 63 weddings um, the year that I got married and I took on an extra 15 just to pay for my wedding. So that's what I decided to do. Um, and I did, it paid for everything. It was perfect. Um, uh, and then this year I decided again, I, I'd do a few. The idea really is longer term. I put my price up a bit and do less, you know, but I don't know what's going to happen now with everything that's going on. But, um, yeah, I have saved, so that's lucky. Um, and then I've been negotiating with my clients, um, individually over the past sort of three or four weeks, um, uh, based on their own circumstances, um, to what we can do financially going forwards with all these postponements and, and things. Cause there's other issues that people aren't thinking about, like, you know, tax brackets and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. That are going to be affected when people change their dates and move to different different years and, and yeah. different months, all that kind of stuff. So, and of course, it's, I mean, it's the, the wedding industry in general that's been hit really hard. As you know, as photographers, but it's also everybody else who's who's involved in in weddings. Well, it has, and of course, the, the problem the problem with the wedding industry is is the whole thing is based around a social gathering of some description. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and they're not normally even the smaller intimate ones. Uh, you're still looking at 20, 30, 40 people, uh, and the much bigger ones go into the hundreds. You know, so um, social gathering ban has been a, a had a huge impact on the whole industry. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing else to say about that, really. I mean, it's, you know, it's it, the thing is, it's one of the first things here, and it'll be one of the last things to to be relaxed. Yeah, but it was something interesting we talked about um, a little while ago, sort of in the, in the run up to this to this podcast, and you were telling me about like an online wedding fair that you've been taking part in. Just tell me yeah, what, what so that is. Yeah, so there's a lot of innovation. I mean, and it, it, someone drew a parallel recently to. Um, it being it feeling like we were at war which i wasn't entirely sure i uh, <laughs> well i wasn't entirely sure it was a good analogy in some respects um but i tell you what it, where it is a good analogy is that you we see lots of technical technological advances when we're in a war setting because people are, are desperately striving to try and you know make those um those um leaps forward to help the cause you know um and and in, in the sense of the wedding industry is it's there's been a, there's been a lot of innovation recently where people have realized they can't do things that they used to be able to do that we've taken for granted so they're trying to innovate and do things in different ways and so i'm not um i'm someone that does maybe two or three wedding fairs every year um there's a there's a couple that i go to that are really good they're very hit and miss by and large anyway but mm. a couple of people decided that what they would do is is because they've got big uh, captive audiences on their social media accounts and stuff they would do a digital wedding fair so what we're doing is we're posting little videos telling people about what we do as a business and what we can offer our clients and then we're going to do we're going to use zoom to do live webinars so we can have actual conversations i think it's a fantastic idea it's uh, you know i think it's cottoning on and it helps us be able to sell to people even though they're stuck at home so um you know whether or not people are still going to book weddings i don't know <laughs> i think you'd have to be a bit mental to book a wedding right now um but having said that people are still spending money and booking weddings and i've taken a few bookings in the last uh, couple of weeks myself so yeah, um yeah i think anything like that's really good and it's forcing me as well to come out of my comfort shell and do things that i'm not used to doing so yeah so what else are you doing whilst you're in isolation um well, there's a couple of things, actually. I've signed up to be an NHS uh, volunteer responder. So I've just got my thing through for that. So I'm going to try and do that a couple of days a week. Um, my wife's put me to work <laughs> around the house. But from a photographic point of view, um, I've done a couple of things, actually. Um, I've, I've made a big list of things that I've been avoiding doing for the last year or two, one of which was doing videos and learning how to use Instagram stories properly. I mean, um, I'm 39 now, and I feel like I'm really disconnected from the generation <laughs> like, below me when it comes to digital marketing. Yeah. Um, I've... 
I think I might have mentioned this to you the other day as well. Like, it's something I've always taken for granted is that um, I get a lot of recommendations from my wedding business, so personal recommendations. I worked out last year that 80% of my bookings came from people I'd either met at other weddings I photographed or they'd recommended from a previous couple. Mm. So I've always been very lax with my SEO, for example, on my website or the way I use my Instagram to its full potential because I've never needed to. Yeah. Um, and now I'm thinking that um, this has actually been a shock to the system and I, I need to think of different ways to do things because um, it's not that I, I don't take that for granted in that sense. I mean, I really appreciate that and I work hard to, to cultivate these kind of relationships with my clients that they feel very happy to recommend me to people. Um, and I think it's really important that I meet people at weddings who then book me because they get to see what I'm, what I'm like to work with because I'm there at a wedding with them and they like that and they then see the pictures and they think, well, you know, Yes, it's an easy decision to make. But at the same time, you know, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. And I've been very, uh, and I'm very aware of the fact that I probably got into that, into that sort of doing that recently. So I think there's good opportunities to, to, to come out of this with very positive things. And I think one of the most positive things is, is that I'm going to be a bit more up to date with the digital marketing aspect of my business and using some of these social media channels to my advantage and to their potential. Yeah. Yeah. It's because by and large, um, it's really relationship marketing that that sort of drives your business forward under normal circumstances. It really is, yeah. And I, I always say to people, um, even when I meet them uh, to talk about weddings and stuff, uh, wedding photography, I say, you know, it, you should you should speak to a few photographers really, but get a feel for them. It's so important that you get that personal relationship between your photographer and you because, you know, as we, as we were saying before we, we went live, you know, we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, how on your own wedding day, Kirsten, we had such a laugh and, you know, the weather wasn't brilliant, but we embraced it. And that's why we got such awesome, unique photos, you know. Um, and I'm always about that. I'm always about embracing you know, challenges. I, I'm never one to sort of moan about stuff, you know, and when you shoot weddings, there's so many variables for so many different reasons. Um, and, it, you know, if you're the kind of person that lets those things get you down, you're never going to take the photos you could potentially take. And I, so I always think in my mind, you know, the best way to get the right photographer for you is to um, have a personal connection with them, you know? Um, and I think one of the reasons that I do so well in my own business is because I'm, I'm, you know, I, I connect with people really quickly and mm. I'm, I feel like I'm quite fun and I'm quite, um, I'm quite relaxed and I, I, I'm not a bossy photographer. I, I don't turn up at weddings and start taking over and turn them into photo shoots. You know, I hate that. I, I really hate that idea of being that old cliche bossy wedding photographer. That's just not my style. Now, a lot of people don't shoot that way anymore these days anyway. Um, a few years back when I first started doing photography, it, I was a little bit more unique in the sense that I was very hands-off. I mean, I come from a music photography background um, and I'm a very informal person. As, I mean, as you can tell, you know, I'm not very formal at all um, and, and that helped me because a lot of my weddings are for couples that are a little bit paranoid about being posed or they want to have a nice fun day not not have a the wedding that the parents had you know um, and and so that's all that's all really helped me and I feel like um, that's the reason why my business has done so well because I do think that you know once you get past the you can look out there and see loads of different photographers and, they, and there's a lot of really good photographers around I mean you know a lot of them are my friends you know and I and I, and I love them dearly and stuff but, but, but all of us have got our own little unique selling points that help us connect with certain people and that help you find your client and your couple. Um, and I think that that's incredibly important. And I say that to everybody, speak to a few photographers, get a feel for a few people. If you like loads of people's work, it's, it's going to be that one person that you just connect with a bit better because that's going to make you feel like more comfortable, you know, because yeah. these people aren't professional models, you know, uh, you and Kurt, I mean, you're a rig and you're good looking people, man, but you're not models, you know? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, <clears throat> but the thing is, like, the, the way we connected was, because like, I, I remember, because um, obviously, you know, when people know that you're a photographer, you know, and they they learn that, you, that you're that about to get married, the first question anybody asks you is, like, who are you going to get to shoot your wedding, 
right? Yeah. And so um, that was obviously, I know it was, that's how it went down for you. It was the same for me. Um, and, you know, I was looking for somebody, I wasn't necessarily even looking for a wedding photographer, actually, to be honest. Um, and I came across your... back to what we were talking about earlier, wasn't it? About my own wedding photographer. Yeah. Um, and actually, just to quantify the, the you're not models statement, what I meant was <laughs> not that you're not good looking people. It's more that um, from, a, from a point of view of like um, posing, you know. Um, um, but yeah, no, uh, with my own photographers, yeah, I, I booked two people that are actually better known for music photography than wedding photography, even though they do wedding photography, um, because I wanted that kind of vibe. And also, we were having a music festival kind of wedding, so um, I, I, you know, I knew what I wanted, um, and it wasn't necessarily sort of traditional wedding photography. Yeah. Um, and um, so yeah, so I booked a, I booked a sort of what I call an alternative photographer. And actually, funnily enough, actually, the way I've been, one thing, just going back to what you're saying before about how things have changed. I think one thing I realized as well, like now that I'm thinking about my marketing a bit more is that I maybe I've always been a bit too reluctant to go too specifically down one route in the sense of using words like alternative wedding photographer, because I feel like that sort of pigeonholes you a little bit, but there's advantages and disadvantages to that. And I'm actually thinking the more I think about that, and, and, and bearing in mind that, you know, when I started doing this, what I was doing it actually was alternative wedding photography without really knowing that I was doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and now I think it's actually a term that I'll be quite comfortable to use. And, and actually, a lot of people use that to refer to me. Um, and I was always a little bit negative about it. And I quite like it now, actually. I think it helps set me apart from, you know, the, the noise and the saturation that we, you know, that we have with wedding photography. There's a lot of people just doing wedding photos, you know. Yeah. And then there's some people doing wedding photography, which I think is a slightly different thing. So, yeah. yeah. Which I think when when um when we first met, I think you just you only just gotten into wedding photography. I think. I think I've been doing it for a few years. Yeah. I think what happened is in 2015 or 16, I started to take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, been doing it for three or four years before that. Right. But uh, actually, this goes back to something I just said a minute ago about some people shoot weddings and some people are wedding photographers. Um, in my mindset changed. I, I started to realise that um, I could just fight around, take a photos of weddings, and they'd be great. But if I really wanted to get good at it and really embrace it and actually enjoy it more myself and actually work with people that I really want to work with and shoot those really fun, cool weddings, I needed to be a bit more specific in the way I shot yeah. and what I look for and how I actually um, allowed myself to be creative in those sort of circumstances. So um, I think when I shot your wedding, I started to get, a bit, I just got a bit more confident with that and I started to realise what my strengths and weaknesses were. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I embraced the weather thing because I was like, I, I don't care that it rains. And if anything, yeah. it's going to help us get photos that maybe other people won't get. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up working out absolutely perfectly for, our, for, for your wedding, didn't it? Yeah. And I, I mean, I could just tell the story real quick. Um, so on my wedding day, it was, uh, it just happened to be the wettest August day since 1945. So it was pouring <laughs> down like hell. Um, and we had originally, we thought, oh, there's a nice bridge, you know, by a lake, not too far from our house and, uh, be the perfect, the perfect kind of, you know, Victorian looking sort of wedding photo. <laughs> but of course, you know, you always imagine it with the wet, the, the weather being great and all the rest of it. But as it happened, it was just pouring down and uh, I'd already kind of bent that idea, you know? Um, yeah. and I remember you saying, well, I'm okay, let's go, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we really <laughs> went, okay, let's go. <laughs> I was like, yeah, put a pick your boots on, grab yeah. a brolly, let's go, let's just go and take those photos because that's that's what's happening, yeah. you know. And of course, it, that's exactly what made those photos totally unique because I don't know, I mean, within my circle of friends, I don't know anybody who's got, you know, wedding photos in the rain. 
Like no, no, and actually, do you know? I remember. It's funny enough. Talk about Instagram and that. I remember when I put them up. Do you remember they they got a lot of love um, yeah. when they went up? Um, they, I mean, it worked because you guys were so cute together. Um, and there was those pictures, you know, with Regan, you with her boots on. It was just, it was really cute. But also, I think it was the fact that you just embraced it, and I think people love to see that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, as a photographer, I love that. I want people, you know, and I actually think you, you've hit on something really important um, there about what's important about wedding photography really. Um, in the, um, you know, I, as I was saying to you before, I could take any number of people to a bridge and do whatever poses and I could take a hundred different poses and it would just be a pose, you know, mm. or I can go to a bridge in the rain with two people like you and we have a laugh and have fun and you get a picture of you guys being yourselves. It's not just a pose. Yeah. If I don't remember us really posing all that much at all, no, I think I, I suggested a few little things to you guys and you just did it yourself and yeah. I just floated around taking photos of it yeah. and that's why those photos are so good because it's you being you in those circumstances, yeah. you know. And it was it was super fun to to shoot as well. It was a laugh, so, wasn't it? I remember. Yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> so yeah, so you've you've really come to photography through shooting gigs. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So so okay. So music's my always been my first love. Uh, I've been in bands. I was in a signed band when I was a kid. Um, uh, uh, music was a natural way for me to get into another creative outlet. So I worked in the music industry for a little while as well as a scout and, and then A&R and then in PR doing, doing press releases for bands and stuff. But whilst all this was going on, I've always had a love for imagery, especially band imagery and music imagery. Um, and so what I decided to do was to, to, to basically buy a camera and try and do some gig photography. And of course I had a lot of clients who were PR clients of mine who didn't have any photos. So they basically said, oh, you know, why don't you do some photos for us? And uh, a little bit, I guess it's a little bit like your story, um, uh, doing the music stuff. It's like circumstances, you know, played into my hands. Um, and I, because I knew a lot of the promoters locally to me from my own band gig and doing shows myself, it, it's very easy for me to get passes. I say to them, if you let me in, I'll, I'll check you some po pictures you can use for your promos and stuff. And, and so I, I just threw myself headlong into it. Um, and actually, it's funny because it reminds me of a conversation I had with my dad. Um, I was one of those people that kind of fell in love with things really quickly and decided I was going to do them and then give up on them really quick. Yeah, I'm just, I've always been like that, very spontaneous. And then, and then he, he said to me, oh, you're going to do photography now. And he wasn't taking the mic. He was just like, it's just another thing that I was going to do. And he said to me, well, you know, what do you want to achieve of it? And I actually said to him, if I can get a, a picture in my local newspaper, which was the Hunts Post, and said in three years, you know, I'll be super chuffed. And then within six months of buying my first camera, I had a full page picture in Kerrang. <laughs> awesome. Which is like ridiculous, yeah. absolutely ridiculous. But I took to it real quick. Um, and I think the reason is, is because I love music so much. Um, I didn't give up on the photography. I, I did, I read everything I could and I was going to, at some point I was going to, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, obviously. <laughs> I was going to five or six gigs a week hmm. to, to photograph them, to try and figure out how to do this gig photography. And I'd done no photography at that point before, but I had been to university to do film production. So I had an idea of, of, of how these things worked. Um, and so I, I, I just threw myself at it 100%. And, I, and another, I developed this massive passion for it. And then you fast forward a couple of years and inevitably what happens um, is one of your mates tells you that he's getting married and you're photographing his wedding. And you say, no, I'm not. What do I, want? I don't want to shoot a wedding. Why would I want to shoot a wedding? You know, because in my mind, it's just this boring, horrible, formal event. Yeah. And then he didn't book a photographer, so he made me do it. Um, and it end, I ended up enjoying it. It was amazing. But of course, that created another issue, which I'll, I'll talk to you about later, actually. But that created another issue for me. But that's how I, that's in a nutshell how I got into wedding photography. I, I kind of got back and to shoot at a wedding, yeah. and it turned out pretty good. And then, yeah. And now you're, you're officially an award-winning wedding photographer. Yeah, actually. I hate to say that, though, because <laughs> it feels like... 
It's just I'm embarrassed by it. It's embarrassing. People like I, sometimes people ask me about it. And I'm like I have technically won some awards and stuff, but I just I don't want to stick it on my website or anything because it just feels like um I don't know. I don't want to say I'm waving my dick, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what it feels like. Uh, and I'm I'm immensely proud of the, the, those awards and stuff. You know, I've worked hard for them, but like it, it, you know, it's just one of them things. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Was you know nowadays whenever I'm asked to shoot a wedding, which doesn't happen very often, but occasionally does. Um, usually what I do is I so if I check out your website and I'll be like, what would Dan do? <laughs> check that out. <laughs> that's, really, that's actually really nice. Thank you very yeah, much. <laughs> yeah, just to get some creative input for sure. Yeah, because yeah, I mean you obviously I mean you're flipping awesome at what you do. Um, oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think you know photography is one of these one of these art forms um, that allow you to develop literally indefinitely you know you'll never you'll never get to the point where you know it all you can do it all um because there's so many no, different that, that's interesting that actually you bring that up because i have this conversation with people all the time like you know how do you get into photography and stuff and it, as an art form it's something you teach you teach yourself you know um and, and i say this i've got friends that have got i mean i'm not going to mention names because they might see this but i've got friends that have got photography degrees that cannot take a photo oh, to save their lives you know yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um you know it's not something you just get qualified at you know i i was my qualification is my portfolio and my experience you know um and it's extensive now you know and, it, and i think like any art form you know if you've got a, a passion for it even even creativity though can be learned you can learn to be creative you can learn to see things in different ways you know mm. um I think all of us have got a natural ability to be creative. I think a lot of it maybe gets schooled out of us in certain ways when we're growing up or yeah. we lose the, the, um, uh, the, the uh, confidence to be creative. And so it is, it's sometimes a difficult thing to kind of relearn as you get older. Um, but I think all of us have got that ability to learn to be creative. Yeah. Um, and photography is an incredible, uh, incredibly rewarding medium to, for creativity. You know, you can do anything you want with it. You know, yeah. if you've got any kind of imagination, you can do anything with photography. Um, you know, you can really run, you can go crazy with it or you can just do simple stuff, you know. And sometimes, you know, a simply taken black or white portrait is amazing. Or sometimes some crazy composite shot of you doing your wife's housework can be, <laughs> that can be just can be fun as well, yeah. you know. It's, there's so many ways in. That's how I always think. You know, it doesn't matter where your where your interests lie. You know, you could be into music. You know, music photography is an awesome thing. You could be into, um, I don't know, still life, and then that's your way. And you know, or you like, um, you know, sometimes it's interesting actually when when you talk to other photographers because uh, I always find there sort of very broadly speaking two categories of photographers: those who like working with people and those who are really scared of working with people. <laughs> you know that's actually i think that's massively true uh, and i know wedding photographers that that are scared of working with people and i know some that hate people as well you know? so and that's probably the worst place to be a photographer if you don't yeah. like people um yeah it's interesting you talk about different ways of doing photography i i, I meet very few wedding photographers that said oh, i've always wanted to be a wedding photographer hmm. you know I, I it was always we wanted to do music or something really cool and then we kind of fell into doing weddings hmm. um but of course the reality is is that I mean, specifically talking about my what I do, you know, I got into music photography because I love music, that, and I and I loved imagery, so it made sense to combine the two. But I also made a, a sort of conscious decision to do that because I knew that I would be committed to it, um, and so that helped me develop my skills. Which are obviously, when you realise that, they're very transferable. And actually, I find shooting shooting weddings are very much like shooting gigs. Actually, you know, um, you have to be very proactive. There's a lot of variables that you have no control over, like lighting and all that kind of stuff yeah. like that. Um, and when you get good at that kind of thing and, and pre preempting body language, I think one of the, the best things I learned shooting 
gigs is learning to read body language and when people are going to do things and you can preempt when something's going to happen. Um, weddings are just like that. You get a sense, it's like a sixth sense for knowing something something's going to happen and then you have to go and capture it. Um, so I found that, that all the gig photography did was really good training for shooting events um, yeah. with lots of people where lots of stuff are going on. Um, and you might not directly relate them, but they are. Um, and, it's, it, and all these things are transferable, you know? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I found when I first got into um, shooting uh, concerts is that, you know, having been a musician, having been on the other side of the lens, you know, for a very long time, um, and then all of a sudden taking, you know, taking photos of bands, it's like you, you already have that kind of sixth sense because you sort of, you know how people move and you know what's going to happen on stage and you can read people and you sort of know what's going to happen before it actually happens and you're ready for it. I totally believe that that is one of the reasons why I got good at it quickly. Um, it, I, I, the creativity side of it, I, I think I always had in me, the technical ability, like you, as you know, Kirsten, technical stuff, you know, you, that's something you continuously learn in all the time. You're learning how to be better at things you're already good at, for example, you know. Um, but with the, with the, the band stuff, I knew things were going to happen and I knew how to catch, what I didn't know was how to capture them like the best way mm. did I have the right lens you know am I using the right shutter speed you know have I got a, a camera that's you know going to give me um, an ISO that is not going to look like a potato at ISO 800 you know <laughs> that kind of thing um, and so I had those limits but actually what I realise now is that you know when I was doing those, that gig photography we're talking about mid 2000s um i had a four a 350d or a 400d or something anything above 800 iso you couldn't use it and you, can, yeah. you didn't really want to use it at 800 but um what i did is i learned how to i learned how to use that camera to the best of its potential mm. um i knew what its limitations were and it made me a better photographer it made me so much of a better photographer oh, absolutely yeah. later on when i got the better camera and it could do all the things i prayed my other camera could do and i appreciate it much more um so i think learning your gear is really important um but yeah, so yeah, doing the music stuff was a really good grounding for me for doing events because I think they're actually a lot more related than people think. So where where do you wanna where do you wanna go when everything goes back to normal? What's what's gonna be like your first step? That's an interesting that's an interesting conversation. Um, I don't know actually. I I don't think I don't think it's gonna go back to normal. I, I don't I think I think there's gonna be a new normal when this is over. Um, how it affects my industry, I that is a, uh, an open-ended question because I think a lot of things are going to change. Um, I'm also sort of worried about the fact that we might have a recession after this, which is going to affect people spending money. I mean, here's, here's what's been sort of sobering for me is that as much as I love what I do and I work hard at it and I, and I think I'm at a pretty good level at it, I am ultimately a luxury uh, that is not needed you know i i go and photograph weddings and stuff but i am a luxury purchase you know i'm a i'm a want not a need um and that has kind of made me rethink the way i do things and i have been thinking about maybe doing other things outside of photography um, i've got lots of other interests you know um and so i have been thinking about possibly doing that so that i'm maybe not so susceptible to something like this in the future because as it stands i've got no, I've, I've, i'm unemployed full-time now <laughs> you know i've got um i've got no work coming up you know um, everything I've, i have has been rearranged until at least all August, and it might get rearranged again because I'm totally at the mercy of this now. Yeah. Um, everyone that works in my industry is, you know, um, and, and the scary thing about it is, is it it could take longer than even we think because let's just say, for example, um, the lockdown is relaxed a bit in July and they start letting people out again. The last thing they're going to start letting people do is do mass social gatherings. Now, they might let weddings happen, but they might say, well, you can't have more than 20 people or something. Some of my couples will say, that's fine, we'll do it anyway. Others are going to say, that's not the day we want, so they're going to cancel or rearrange. Mm. Um, but then you've got other issues as well. Like, So uh, something I hadn't even thought about yesterday, well, a friend of mine's a florist, and she said, 
the problem I've got is I can't get my flowers from Holland now. So even if they, you know, the lockdown finishes, where am I going to get my stock from? Because there's going to be no to, none to begin with. You know, it's, it, there is, it, it's going to, there's massive knock-on effects. Um, so yeah, I, it, there is, it is in my mind that maybe I need to think about doing something else as well. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure right now. I, luckily, I've got a bit of time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, it gives you time to do things like this, you know? Well, yes, as well. Yeah. And also, you know, the other thing, I, uh, talking about that as well, I think about, you know, videography. I, I want to start doing some videography as well. You know, I, mm. I did make these videos back in the day when I went to university and stuff, but it's been a long time since I did anything like that. And I quite like to use my camera. For, uh, you know, my 750s are pretty good at video. So yeah. it'd be good to learn on that. And then before I finally go Sony. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so have you thought, like, have you thought about um, Nikon's sort of recent mirrorless offerings, like the Z6, for example, or the uh, Z8? Uh, I'm sorry, have I been thinking about going to mirrorless, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, it's been on my mind. Um, I've got two, I've got two, I've got two sort of strains of thought with this kind of mm. thing. Um, again, it goes back to that conversation you and me had the other day where we were, it, some people bang on about it as if and no one had taken a good photo before 2015, you know? Um, right. Now, you know, how could you have ever taken a photo on a digital SLR? You know, uh, Sony's are everything. Now, they're obviously fantastic. I've, I've used one uh, briefly from my friends and they are brilliant bits of kit and stuff. Are they going to make you a good photographer? You're not one already. No. You know, are they going to make you a better photographer? Not really. I, I, I think um, it, it's different ways of working with different technology. Um, and, and in my mind, at least, you know, um, I feel like it's a massive first world problem. Like I've got 750s, which are amazing bits of kit and I know how to use it and I get amazing results from them. Mm. Am I really missing out by not having the, the, the next best camera at the moment? I, I don't necessarily think I am. I, I think a lot of this comes down to with technologies, you know, is it going to make it a, a difference to your clients? And I don't think my clients would be able to tell you if I shot on a Canon or a Nikon or a Pentax. Yeah. And I don't think they actually care. They just want the results. Now, if I ever felt like I wasn't getting what I needed from my cameras, I would make that decision. I guess the other strain of thought I've got with this is that, um, because uh, I use my cameras heavily, you know, my 750s are shooting uh, 50 weddings a year per body. I'm shooting probably 2,000 images per body per wedding. Mm. That's 100,000 clicks a year, probably. Um, I'll be looking to change them every 16, probably 18, sorry, every 18 months, probably. Mm. So I'm in that position where I'm going to be upgrading on a constant level anyway. My, my gear, my cameras are just gear, they, they constantly get changed out. Um, and so I might get to a point where I feel like I might make the change and go to, to mirrorless. Um, I think there are some advantages. I like the eye eye focus. That's, that's pretty cool. Although my other thought of mine is Nikon and the Canon, they're starting to respond to this themselves. Um, Sony took a head start. They took a, they took a punt and they nailed it, you know, fair play to them. But, um, I don't personally feel like I'm missing out too much at the minute. I would imagine at some point, though, um, the major manufacturers will kill the digital SRR um, and probably, I think mirrorless is the future. There's no denying that. But yeah. I think it's got a few years left in it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, it is a first world problem. I mean, it's not, it's not like, yeah. I mean, the cameras we've got now, the 750s, I mean, they're don't tell me that's not an incredible camera for the money. It's absolutely it's insane. The one I'm shooting on right now. You know, yeah. and, it's, and it, I'll tell you what, it's better than 90% of people that own it. It's more capable sure. than 90% of people that own them. <laughs> That's the reality. It's, better, it's more capable than me. I'll tell you that now. It's, it can do more than I can do with it. So I'm not missing out as such. But yeah. it's probably, I mean, it's, it's definitely for sure the most versatile camera um, I've ever owned. I, I think, and it's amazing value for money as well, yeah. considering all of the stuff that he does. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, I always think when it comes to upgrading, I always think like, am I going to make the money back? Like, yeah is the additional feature worth it so that, you know, I can justify 
Upgrading. Is it going to make a difference to your client? That's yeah. you know, that question exactly, I ask yeah. myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing, obviously, now that now that I'm doing more video than I did before um, and comparing it to to Nick's GH5, for example, I can, it, it's, the difference is, it's like day and night. Yeah. You know? So, it'll, you know, it would make a lot of things much easier and quicker and so on and so forth, you know. But am I really going to justify you know, spending the money on the GH5S or, or Sony or anything. Here's the other thing as well, like, you know, this goes back to another uh, another issue, or not an issue, but a, a thing that's worth talking about is that pro-level equipment's never been so accessible, you know? Yes, um, it's very affordable now. Um, and, you know, like you said about, it's about justifications at the end of the day. If I, uh, you know, there's Panasonic's and those Sony videos, are they, they are much better than um, what you're getting out of the Nikons, you know, um, because they, you know, they, they, that's what they've decided to do. And because mm. they, they saw the, the gap in that market and they smashed it and fair play to them, you know. Yeah. Um, the videographer that works with me, Mark, he uses Panasonic's and he absolutely loves them. Yeah. He's, got a, he's got a little Lumix one as well that he runs around with to do. And it, the quality is insane. It's, it's, and it's so much more usable than my Nikon. But that, but that's but it's it's based to it's based to do video, but does photos. Whereas mine's a camera that does a bit of video, you know. Yeah. So I recently bought, um, well, recently last year I bought a Fuji uh, X100F, um, and I just bought it because I, well, because I like to look at it, uh, because I like the look of it, and I wanted like a little run around camera type of a thing, you know. And I didn't want to drag like le- lots of lenses with me all the time and like big bodies and whatnot. Um, and I have to say, the, I mean, the video on it is actually surprisingly good. Is it? I, I see, I, I've got a friend that shoots Fuji. Most of the people I know that have got Fuji, funnily enough, have got them as little walk-around cameras, like yeah. what you just said. They, they, they've got, they've got brand um, commitment with some other brand, and they've got loads of lenses. But they want yeah. a little walk-around, so they get a thirty-five mil on it and exactly. use it as a little travel camera or whatever. Yeah. But everyone I know that's used them says they, they love the color. The colors are insane, yeah. um, and a lot of them praise the video quality. Yeah, I, I've never used one, but I love the look of them. I think they look, they look beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, one of the um, the greatest advantages I find is that you know you can go, you can go to London, or you, you know you can uh, you can take pictures of like buildings or whatnot, and you never get bothered by the security there because they never think that you're a pro photographer. They always think like you're a tourist with this thing. Yeah, yeah, because it just looks like a little point and shoot. That's yeah. right. Yeah, no, but they're, they're very capable, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I, I know people that use them professionally to do weddings and stuff, you know, um, and they take beautiful photos of them. I mean, yeah. it's like anything though. You know how to use it. You work out what it's good at, what yeah. it's not so good at. It, it just goes to show, you know, if you're a good photographer, you can, the best camera is the one you have. So. Yeah, it's, it's ultimately a tool, isn't it? It is, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So in this part of the Camera Shake podcast, we're going to have a look at the weekly photo challenge. Nick and myself, we challenge each other every week to make a photo or a video. Um, this week's topic was float. So we're to come up with a photo that somehow depicted anything that can possibly float. So we're going to bring the first photo up and uh, then it's going to constructively critique it, I think is the word. So uh, the first photo up is, in fact, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. So the first photo is Nick's photo. Um, Nick, I'm going to pass this over to you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that photo? Yeah, sure. Um, so when we initially discussed the topic as being floats, I, I couldn't decide how I wanted to go about that and what I wanted to do. And uh, just one day, I was I was literally, I was making a sandwich, and I knocked some stuff on the floor. <laughs> and that kind of just shot in the idea of, oh, how about I attempt to make a, a photo of me making a sandwich in one go? So that's where the idea kind of kind of developed. And so 
as with any photo like this, it you know ninety five percent of it was set up and getting the photo ready, and I spent no more than five minutes taking photos. I don't think less than that. <laughs> um, so this, how I ended up going about the setup here was. Um, I spent about 20 minutes actually just trying to get the right angle. My kitchen there is probably difficult to say for sure. It's actually, it's actually a very small kitchen, kind of very small galley kind of um, style kitchen. And so getting that angle where I knew I would be able to stand in the photo, I could have my hands out and I could get enough scene in there to make it still interesting um, was really quite, quite difficult. So I got that set. I then... Um, so, you know, put around as many objects as I thought was necessary to make it, you know, an interesting thing to look at related to what I was making. So you've got the, obviously the chopping board there um, with some bread cut and the bread knife and so on. And then, um, you know, some things kind of related to me. We've got some spices down there, um, a little cat uh, kind of picture thing, if you like. So I've got a couple of cats, mm -hmm. coffee, um, very much a caffeine man. A uh, couple of Star Wars references in there as well, which me and Kay and I believe yourself, Dan, love. <laughs> so got to get that and some hot sauce in the back. And uh, so that was that. And then I uh, took some, you know, got some photos of the, the scene and such. And then to do the, the sandwich, um, the way I ended up doing that is I'm not a big fan of taking a photo from one place and literally just dropping it into another photo. What you're seeing actually happened. That those sandwich bits were there and it's exactly where they're photographed as well. So, um, and this was the challenging part. So where my hands are, um, I actually had a tripod on one end and a, um, I think it was a mic stand on the other end with like, um, wooden skewers taped together with all the bits and pieces of the sandwich strung on that, those skewers and then taped to the mic stand and, uh, the, uh, tripod. And so the real difficult thing there was getting them to stay in the right places that looked cool without them starting to slide off down or tear and things like that. Um, so, so that's where they are. That was, uh, that was quite difficult. It took a lot of shots of that, tried to move things and then chose the best one after that I, I particularly liked. And so, um, so I took a few photos of that, a few photos of me with my hands out. So I've got the right one that kind of fitted, um, fitted the scene right. Um, and then from a lighting perspective, um, the lighting actually changed a lot while I was in there. So I kept the blind down so I could have a bit more control. Um, and then the, I had actually got my, um, my aperture light on its lowest setting, uh, 300D with a purple gel over it. And that's just just a one little flood of purple light. It's very, very faint uh, because my walls are kind of that lilac-y purple color. And then I had my flash on top of my camera uh, pointing up to the ceiling with it half covered with a purple gel. So I tried it full covered and it was just too, was too much. Without it, it wasn't quite enough. And I just half covered it with a purple gel and taped, taped that over it and took the photos that way. Um, and that's the end result. And then from an editing, editing perspective, I just masked out the sandwich photo and overlaid it on top of the one with me in. So is that just two photos? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could give you some, I could, I'll give you some feedback if you want. Um, <clears throat> Definitely. Please. Conceptually, absolutely fantastic. Um, it's really well done. I love the Star Wars references. I've already seen them straight away. I like the fact <laughs> that your, uh, your, your coffee maker looks a bit like a rebel 
pilot helmet as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes it does. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I like, your expression is funny as well, uh, and I love how there's a lot of space between the ingredients so you can see them. I think the, the only issue I have with this, and you hinted at the, at the end there, is you had issues with the lighting, and you can tell it looks a bit muddy and a bit sort of, and, and I think yeah. the, pur- the purple thing is, is not helping you in this situation. One, because your skin tones are a bit off, like you look quite, you look a bit sunburnt, like, yeah. You've had, you've had, you've been, been enjoying the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, I have just come back from Australia. I'll let you off then, dude. <laughs> but I think the biggest issue with the lighting being like that is it, it actually stops the, um, the ingredients of the sandwich popping as much as popping. they could from you as the, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I mean, and, 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 and there's like a cast across the whole thing, isn't there? Like a magenta cast across the whole thing. Totally. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and in post, actually, I, I called it down as well in post. And so that that's because it was ultimately ended up being too much. When yeah, I mean, red, were, red skin tones are difficult to deal with at the best of times. I mean, let's um, yeah. curse to tell you, if you ever do any gig photography, <laughs> red skin tones, my God. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I would say that's the only thing that kind of lets it down as far as, because I think everything else about it I love. Um, it's a small space, you can see that, and you've done a really good job of it. I love all the little references. I love the way that you've got the sandwich. Like, you can see it all clearly. The only thing, yeah, that lets it down is, is the lighting's a little bit muddy. Um, but actually, one of the reasons why it's let down by that is, Partly because Kirsten's lighting's so clean. So <laughs> when you contrast them together, because on its own, you probably you would notice it, but it wouldn't be the issue that it might be. Yeah. In contrast to Kirsten, because his lighting's very consistent in both of his photos, and they're very and it's very clean. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you, you you're saying nothing that I I no, no I imagine that you do that anyway. Yeah. I knew myself already that you know. You always look back on the photo and you go, oh, I wish I'd done that. I think if you put that ham on your face, you wouldn't see the ham. (laughs) 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 I'll tell you what, though, creatively, it's absolutely brilliant. And I love how you actually, the idea of how you managed to get all the bits on the tape and stuff. Because actually, you've saved yourself two jobs. One is that you've been able to visualize it before you took the photo, which is really helpful. But secondly, it means you've only had to put two photos together rather than 20. Yeah. Yeah. different bits so actually no i think it's great and i love the concept i think it's a i mean i'd give it an eight out of ten easy maybe not eight and a half you know yeah the only thing about it is just the lighting's a little bit off and that's the only thing you know i, I will take that that's uh <laughs> no, i think it's a really cool picture <laughs> put it this way if i was scrolling through instagram and i saw it i would definitely stop and like it and think it was a cool, oh, cool, cool picture man it's how cool. did you get, how did you get all the different that. ingredients to um to stay in the air and space them out like that. Actually, what are those two middle bits? Are they tomato? Oh, it's tomato. I was, I was trying to figure out if it was like a carrot. <laughs> no. That's a weird sandwich, man. <laughs> so that, so that they were actually quite challenging. Been, maybe the tomatoes could have been side on there. Angled in, yeah, yeah. It was, it was actually quite difficult to get. Yeah. I ended up having to just go with what was actually other shots. They were a little more side on. Um, but as things started to turn, this was the best one collectively that worked for me. And I was really keen, like you say, to keep it with one photo on those ingredients if I could, rather than starting to switch between more than one. So here's the other question um, then. Did you, so is, did you photograph this and then, um, so, so, so what I'm thinking you've done is you've taken a photo of yourself afterwards and then you've just, you've edited out the bits from behind because so that you could, so that you could, um, have, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, isolate them when you do the, yeah. yeah. 
That's really good, mate, because it, it exactly. looks really like it's right in front of you as well. Yeah. 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 The only other criticism I'd have of my myself on, on this one is I think in places, I think my masking could have been better um, on some of those ingredients. I think yeah, the thing the, is with Instagram as well, because it's small, you don't see that in detail. That's true. That's yeah. true. I think Actually, maybe I, if I'm, I'm just, being ultra critical as well, maybe the bread at the end could be higher up because it feels like it's a bit too low from your hand, if you know what I mean. Or maybe you're on angry. the left-hand side of the photo. Yeah, but that's yeah. just being that's just being super critical. But then you know, you it's being super critical that makes you better at things, you know. So absolutely, so, absolutely, that's exactly why me and Kirsten wanted to do these kind of um, you know weekly challenges, if you like, because we're just improving ourselves all the time doing this. No, definitely, it's a, it's a quality bit today. I love it. <laughs> and one other tip, just thing that is worth mentioning, but people may be interested. What I did in post on just those ingredients is I added some motion blur in um, Photoshop. Ah, okay, cool. Just a touch, just the what you find yeah, is so it otherwise really it, it would be too clinical, wouldn't it? It'd be too. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. You. And if you in that kind of position, you'd ex- kind of expect them to have been moving a little. It bit, makes right? it look a bit more like it actually might have happened as well. Then otherwise, it's just things hanging in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. absolutely. No, that's really good. I think it's a quality picture, man. Yeah. Cool. And um, so again, my photo was uh, based on the topic float, and. Um, there's really two things that came together there. One is, um, well, I wanted to make myself float. And secondly, my wife told me I had to do more housework. <laughs> so you put the two together, that's what you get. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I mean, saying, ironically, you didn't do the housework, though, did you? <laughs> you no, apparently part. not. <laughs> you made more mess. <laughs> In fact, I totally messed the place up. Because <laughs> my living room does not look like that <laughs> normally. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I mean, it's probably the, the hardest part about this photo, to be honest, was actually moving the furniture around. That was uh, that was definitely the toughest part. Um, how, many that, photo, how many photos are these? Is, is it just two photos again? Yeah, it's actually just two. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so in this one, really, um, it, it's really predominantly down to the sort of set design, if you want to call it that, because you know you you're thinking of a particular action, um, and you build the set around that and you then you know you literally put the action in um so um, the other thing is of course you know, everything you see in that photo really kind of, sort of depicts my personality if you want you know i'm a musician i play the, i'm a guitarist so that's what i do clearly you're going to see a lot of guitars in the picture um you know i'm a massive star wars fan so you're always going to find some kind of star wars reference in there somewhere yeah um oh, and, BB-8, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i try to hide him but you know See, um, I'll tell you what I like about this picture is uh, the two guitars kind of balance the picture really well because they frame they frame you. Yeah. Either side of the frame, that's really good. Um, also, your balance of the light with the ambient light is really good because you can still see the blue sky. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're using some kind of flash. Is it? I'm thinking it's camera left. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes, it's camera left, pretty high up, pretty much under the ceiling. Yeah, like it's just you can just see the reflection of it in the mirror, can't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, it's, it's difficult to be critical of this picture because I think it, it's it's really good. Just out of interest, how did you take the? How did you? Are you on a step lab step ladder or something like that? Is that how you've balanced? Yeah, I'm. I'm on a bar stool. Yeah, so I can still I can still feel it in my hands. Got you. And where is that? Is that on your hip? No, it's just it's just underneath my rib cage. Oh, okay. Because I'll tell you what you've done well, which I see a lot of people don't do very well when they do these pictures, is they get that flatness on the bottom side uh, yeah. where they're on a stone, you can tell. Yeah. Um, but it's, you've done it really, really well. You can't really tell that. 
Um, so I guess the question: Have you have you have you used a sort of maybe a, a, a brush to bring your shirt down a bit? No, not at all. Is it all natural? It's cool. It's all natural. Yeah, not shirt. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it works really well. I mean, I, I say the only thing that annoys, <laughs> say annoys me, <laughs> the only thing about it that I don't like about it is the the, the acoustic behind your arm. Yes, that's the you. only thing. Yeah. I literally, I find it difficult to be critical of anything else about that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe um, the music thing could be uh, not, rather than off-screen, maybe within the frame, totally. Yeah. And that, what that little guitar there, that probably isn't really needed. But apart from that, I mean, it's yeah. fantastic, technically brilliant. Um, the light is really good. What you've got really good here, which is um, um, something that, um, that, that 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 Nick didn't quite get so good, was the lighting thing. I mean, then you're using flashes, and Nick is uh, Nick's. Nick's balancing gels and stuff, which is always going to be more difficult, especially with wire balance. Um, but yours is really good. And like I said, you, you've balanced it really, really well. Um, but of course, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd, uh, God, what would I say? Okay, I'm, I'm going to say it's ever so slightly better than Nick's. <laughs> only, but, only, <laughs> oh, no. but only just because I actually, if I'm honest, I kind of think Nick's concept is slightly better, mm-hmm. but you've executed yours better. Right. So I'm going to give you a nine. <laughs> <laughs> it gets eight and a half. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to get a nine. But they're both actually fantastic. And I actually think that um, you're, you guys are going to push each other. You're going to start producing some really fun stuff. This is well, this it. is both fun and it's like, it's clever. And actually what I like about this kind of stuff is, is that if you push yourselves a lot and you get your lighting right, this, this can make up a portfolio for commercial work that people love. Because they love creativity, true. you know, thinking outside the box, doing stuff like that. That's stuff that people want to, you know, that's branding work, you know? Yeah. But, you know, and that's the reason we, we started this, wasn't it, Kay, is that we really want, we do want to push ourselves while we're, and, and, and the thing about these challenges is they're twice as hard because we can't leave our homes. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, to yeah, do them, right? yeah, yeah. It makes it very, very difficult. And it's also, but that's also going to improve you because it's going to make you exactly. have to work with what you've got. Yeah, one, one thing me and me and Kay were talking about um, talking about earlier was that you know one of you know, I had when I first started learning photography, I just had a fifty mil, nothing else. Mm. That's it, and that that has to stretch you. You've got to learn what that fifty mil does and what it can't. It's do. still one of my favourite lenses to this day. And in fact, whenever anybody buys a camera, and they ask me what lens to get first. I say go out buy the plastic fifty mil one point eight. Start to learn about depth of field. Start to use prime lenses. You know, it's still a brilliant, brilliant, yeah. brilliant lens. It's sure. still my favorite portrait lens. Yeah. yeah, I use it all the time, actually. That yeah, and I use it all the time, all the time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think I mean the you know see the interesting thing about photo challenges like this and this is I mean generally I sort of give that as a piece of advice to just about anybody who's stuck at home at the moment and wants to either dabble in photography or is already you know um, has, who's already done a lot of photography in the past like picking photography challenges is a really great idea in, in this time. You know, it doesn't really matter whether it's like a, you know, a three, six, five, where you take one picture every day or whether it's a, you know, a 52 or however many weeks there are in a year. Is it 52 or 54? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, one, of those. Yeah. <laughs> one picture a week. No, um, I agree. Cause um, I, 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 I was sort of actually, so just before we move on to that, I was going to say one thing about the compositing thing um, um, is that if there's one thing I know about compositing, and I don't know a lot about it, but I've got a friend called George Fairburn who takes amazing composite images. Mm. Um, it, the key thing, and this is, again, it goes back to, to, to struggles that Nick had with um, the, the change in light situation. Um, you know, when you're doing composites and you're shooting over a period of time, that light changes. Um, and it's, it's getting that lighting right, which is what make, can make a composite look like a really like natural shot or a clearly composited shot. 
it's getting that balance that is really hard to do yeah. um and it's especially hard to do when you're trying to balance kind of gels and yeah. ambient lighting and all that kind of stuff um that's one thing i do know but um, the other thing about challenges is that yeah i was really worried last week that you know I might not shoot a wedding for six months. Like, am I going to lose my skills? Because a lot of the stuff, stuff I do now when I shoot a wedding, it's second nature to me. So I don't have to think about it. I'm just buzzing around doing what I do. If I don't do it for a long period of time, I do get rusty. And I do like, I take my time off over Christmas. I needed to cut the weddings to, before I really start, you know, hitting the heights. Um, and so what I did is I got some Star Wars figures and I did a Star Wars wedding in my back garden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, the, and I put the picture, it went viral. I got loads of likes. I had a journalist interview me about it, trying to get it in the paper next week or something. Um, and so I'm trying to think of things to do myself to, to be creative, you know. Um, and one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to get all my Star Wars miniatures out and start doing battle scenes and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, wicked. I think it'll be fun. I can use my light in. I did one a few yeah. years back when it, we got snowed in three or four years ago one day. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I've got an, a, the guy that used to live opposite my house had a, a red light on his patio that flooded the whole of our site. So it was this big red light. I remember looking at it and I was thinking, that's really cool. So what I did is I put, um, I put a, a, um, a snow speeder in the snow on the bonnet of my car. And I put a, um, an ATAT walker that was actually about the same size, way behind it to give you the right depth of field. And then it, and then it, it, it snowed a bit. And I took some photos with this red light coming in. And I balanced it with my own blue light coming in to give you the red and the blue. So you had the Star Wars thing. And I took a couple of pictures and one of them turned out amazing and i sold a load of prints of it because people loved it so much uh, it's on my instagram somewhere but i might post it again but um yeah things like that are great if you if you really care about photography you can find interesting things to do everywhere yeah totally absolutely and on that note if you don't know what to do tonight find yourself a photo challenge for sure absolutely anyway so thank you very much um dan Ackley. what a fantastic guest you've been the first guest on our show you've literally christened the show <laughs> Excellent. So, so um, you said I've been a fantastic guest. I might end up being the worst uh, out of all of them. You know? <laughs> I doubt that very much. Best somehow. guest today. I'll, I'll take the compliment. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked.